Tonight's episode of Dead Rabbit Radio contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. The year is 1915. The place is Japan. It is a cold November morning. When a bear is awoken months early from the end of hibernation. This bear steps out of its cave and sees a world covered in snow. A world without food for him to eat. So he keeps marching through the forest, looking for something, anything, to satiate his hunger. And that's when he sees a small village. The bear watches the humans, learns their routine, and then he does what he does best. He kills and consumes. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. You know, I want to be clear that disclaimer we have at the beginning, it's not a joke. This actually might be the most graphic episode we've had of Dead Rabbit Radio. I usually don't do a lot of the gory details, but this one, I don't feel it's gratuitous. I feel like it it shows where this what's going on in this story. So I'm not going to pull any punches with this episode, just letting you guys know. It is the Friday episode, so I mean, if it, I don't want it to ruin your weekend. I think this is a great story, though. We'll analyze it a little bit at the end, but I kind of... And this is the only thing we're doing today, too, because I just kind of want to let this story marinate, you know? I think it's a really interesting story. We'll do a little analysis at the end. First off, I really got to thank Scary Man Esquire. He's the one who recommended this one to me. He actually sent me the one about the talking bear we did a couple episodes ago. Now he sent me this one. Never heard of this story before. Completely fascinating. I love it. So thank you, Scary Man. This episode also, I want to mention our newest Patreon. We have Lori Snyder. Thank you so much for supporting the show. It really, really means a lot. I actually messaged her and said, hey, you don't have a problem with bears, do you? Because this episode is, it's not just about a bear. Like, I don't want to hype it up too much, but this episode's real, real dark. So if you want to have like a happy, fun, sunshine-filled weekend, maybe save this one, put it aside, listen to it on Monday. But For everyone else, let us... Oh, and I want to say this too, because I think that there are going to be people who are fans of this... Fans, but there are going to be people who... They're like holding up little pennants that say bear on them. There's going to be people who normally don't listen to the show. This is probably going to be an episode that attracts people. I want to say to you guys, I mispronounce everything. And this story takes place in Japan. So if you're a huge fan of this event... Again, fan's not the right word. There's no fan of this event, but... If you're like, oh, yes, dude, some guy, some other guy's doing a story on this. Let me start you off with this one. We're going to the, we're going to the village, Sanki Betsu, in Japan. And, and again, with Japan, they're going to have a lot of, like, weird geographical things like Britain does, like counties. So, technically, it's Sanki Betsu Rokunsawa in Japan. So, we're just going to call it the village from here on out. And there's all the new listeners. There's all the listeners who tuned in just to hear about this bear story. But if you stuck around and you can deal with my mispronunciations, hopefully the passion can pull you through. So thank you, Scary Man Esquire. Thank you, Lori. Let's go ahead and get started. The year is 1915. The month is November, and we're in Japan. We're in Senkibetsu, Japan. There's a small village here, a little community of people. Now, I had a look at some photos doing this story, and to give you an idea of this type of village, it's 
what you would think of as a village. It's not like wooden houses. They're like thatched huts. It's 1915, but they're still like do. It's very, very rural area. So they're just imagine this story taking place in you're in the second worst three little pigs house. That's where all of these actions are going to take place. When I was imagining it, I was imagining it like a shack from, you know, like country western days in America. Uh Uh-uh. This is not the... That would be 100% better than where we're going. So as we go through this story, it's all thatched tuts because they've made recreation since. 1915. A bear is awoken early from hibernation. They don't really know what caused the bear. This story is 100% true, by the way. They don't know what caused the bear to wake up early. But the best guess is that that's what caused this bear to go nuts. There is another theory that we'll talk about later, but this bear we're going to be talking about is 8 feet 8 inches tall, 837 pounds. A massive creature, massive, massive creature. Needs food. It woke up, it's wintertime, there's nothing to eat. It crawls through the forest, it comes across the village, and it sees a little farm on the outskirts of the village. This farm belongs to the Aikida family. And they have a bunch of corn they've harvested. It's just laying out. And so the bear's like... <laughs> walking. Walking around. It's tiptoeing. It's all su- I gotta get all the jokes in now, guys. I gotta get all the jokes in now. It's tiptoeing. Do-do-do. Hides behind a tiny tree. Do-do-do-do-do. And then it's eating corn. <laughs> Which is interesting because... It had to be eating the whole cob. I don't think the, the bear is just eating off the kernels, right? So can you bite? I know I can't. But I mean, like, is there any nutritional value in the corn cob itself? Like in the, the meaty part? So the Aikida family horse sees this bear eating corn. Horse freaks out. That alerts the family. And they run out and they see this bear just chilling there, yogi style, straight up eating some corn. The bear runs away. Horse gets scared. The people come out. The bear takes off. But a few days later, bear comes walking back. And they're like, damn it. So we've got to protect our corn. It is winter. There's not a safe way nearby. This is food for us. Bear comes back and wants to chow down on some more delicious corn. And they're thinking, one, we don't want him eating our corn. Two, they don't want him hurting our horse. Because we need that as well. Let's just kill the bear, right? Load up their gun. Shoot the bear, hit the bear, he runs away. And they track him for a bit, and then they say, you know what, he's not going to come back. We shot him, he's been wounded, he's now afraid of humans. He probably didn't know, he's probably woke up, he was groggy, he was hungry, he doesn't know what we are. We shoot it, now it thinks we're some magical race that can put metal from 500 yards away inside of him, he's going to leave. So, bear leaves. So all that happened about two weeks into November, middle of November. December 9th. 1915, 10.30 a.m. The Ota family has a little shack. The husband's away working. The wife is preparing some food, and she's actually babysitting a neighbor's baby. Father comes home from work. Pushes the door open. The floor is thick with blood. Imagine being in that situation. I mean, he's... You're married... 
I don't think you... I, I've had, I remember once my car got stolen and I went into shock and I checked my pockets. I thought maybe I put my car in my pockets. Reality, and that's minor, obviously. That reality, And I thought maybe I left my car in my apartment. I went upstairs and looked in my apartment. I'm like, what? No, my car's not big. You go into shock. I can't imagine walking into a room full of blood. Anyone's blood, let alone people I know's blood. So you can imagine he was in absolute complete shock. Of course, screaming, he's freaking out. Other people come to this house. And they make a few discoveries. One, the child she's babysitting, a toddler, had its head bitten clean off. The wife is gone. Completely gone. People start looking through the house. They notice that the way the firewood is strewn about, they go, it looks like she tried fighting the bear off. She's picking up pieces of wood, throwing them, swinging them at the bear. But look, 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 look here on the ground. Looks like, like her handprints being dragged. Husband's like, no, no, no. They go out the back door and they see a bloody trail through the snow of a body getting dragged into the forest. December 10th, villagers get ready. They're getting their rifles. Can you imagine actually sleeping that night? Could you imagine being like, we're going to go hunt it? Because this is the thing. One, they needed to kill the bear. Two, they needed to get the wife's body back. They wanted to get her body back. They're going to kill the bear. They're going to get the body back. But we'll do it tomorrow. I can't imagine sleeping that night in a thatched hut. But anyways, they go, listen, we're going to load up. We're going to go out there. We're going to go shoot this bear in the face. Bring back the body of the wife and the bear, probably. And they're not just going to leave the bear out there, but they're going to do both. And while they are getting, while they're like figuring out this plan and figuring out what to do, the bear just walks back into the village. And they're like, dude, start shooting at the bear. They shoot him. He gets hit one time. Runs away. So then he takes off. And then they go. And they go into the forest. And they're looking. They follow that blood trail. And they find that dude's wife. They find her head. And her legs. Everything else has been eaten. And the bear had actually packed the body in snow. To preserve it and to hide it from predators. Pick up the head and pick up the legs. Take it back into the village. Now, they know for sure that this bear has eaten, like, it's one thing, it it, it bit the, this is so gross, but it bit the kid's head off and it attacked her. And you could go, it's attacking people. But when it took time to actually, like, eat out the person, like it took it and prepared it like a food source and then packed it and all this stuff, they go, this isn't just, this bear's not just killing people, this bear is eating people. And now that this bear has a taste for human flesh, it's going to come back. I think that's a weird thing. Do we taste so delicious? Because you always hear that. Maybe it's just in movies, but do we taste so delicious Then that when, if a predator eats us, they want more of us. Like, I can't imagine humans taste that good. But apparently, we taste delicious. If an animal eats you or eats anyone, it wants to eat more people. But, like, if a bear ate 
a duck, would it then go out of its way to eat more ducks? Like, I don't I really know how that works. But anyways, these guys know more than I do. They live in 1915 rural Japan. They're on the edge of a forest full of bears, I think they know. So, they go, we know the bears are going to come back. We need reinforcements. We need reinforcements. First off, we're going to get all the men in the village, and we're going to set up a little guard. We're going to do that, and we're going to get a hunting team and all this stuff. But we're, we need two people to go out to the biggest town... Talk to the province leaders, get some backup. And the people who are picked are Miyoko Yasutaro and Sayato Ishigoro. And they had two wives at the village still. You had Miyako Yeo, and then you had uh, Saito Taki, who was actually pregnant with Saito's child. So, Yasutaro... And Ishigoro say goodbye to their wives and say, we'll be right back. But we do have to go and we have to deliver this message. We'll be right back with reinforcements. We have to kill this bear. Wives are like, you know, don't be long. Don't, you know, we're, we're afraid. There's a big bear out there and you're leaving us in a house of... You're leaving us in a house that's made of dead grass, basically. And the two husbands look at each other and they're like, hey, wait, hey, hey. Don't criticize the architectural skills right now, okay? We got bigger things in our mind. Plus, look at all these guards. We're leaving these guards with you. Because here's the plan. We're going to take all the women and children and put them in our house, which was the Miyoko household. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry, guys. We're going to take all the women and children and put it in this house. We're going to surround it with guards. Then we're going to have hunters go into the woods and find this bear and kill it. So you don't have to worry about anything. And the wives are like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Like, we're, we're more protected than the hunters are. And we're even more protected than our husbands are who have to travel through the wilderness to get to town. So this is still December 10th. This is still just the day they went out. This is the, the day after the first attack. And it's been a very eventful day. They've gone out. They chased the, chased the bear. They found the body. They've come up with this plan. They're going to have all these guardsmen surround this house. They're going to go get reinforcements. So when the two husbands do go to the nearest town, they actually are able to get reinforcements. The, the local government says, we're going, that sounds terrible, sorry for your loss, we're going to send a group of people. As we come with you too, we're probably going to recruit some locals from other villages as well. And the two husbands are like, that's a great idea, we, we should have thought about coming this way. And the guy's like, that's why I'm governor, we're going to go, we're going to get all these dudes together. We're also going to assemble a six-man sniper team. So we're going to walk in with like 60 plus dudes, six snipers. It's going to be legit. But you guys might also want to talk to this other guy in town. His name's Yamamoto Haikichi. You might want to go talk to him. They go, why? And they go, well, Yamamoto, he is a famed bear hunter. He's an expert bear hunter. That's what he does. But he's fallen on a bit harsh times lately. You might want to go check him out. The two dudes track him down. Track down the hunter, go to his house. And he's sitting there drinking. And they're like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't what we expected, right? The guy's drinking. And they're like, hey, mind if we come in? And he's like, it's a thatched house. I don't have a choice. You can just walk through the wall. And they're like, okay. So they open the door. They're polite. And they sit down. They're like, hey, so we're having this problem. There's this bear. It ate a woman and, and bit the head off a kid. And Yamamoto is just shooting back. Oop. Taking shots. I don't know if he was drinking the whole time, but he is an alcoholic. So let's just go bonkers with this globe. He has an IV of bourbon going right into his arm. And they go, yeah, I, I can't. we hear you're the best bear hunter in town. And he's like, I'm the best bear hunter ever. But those are the old days. 
I don't bear hunt anymore. Takes another shot. And they're like, dude, this is dangerous how much you're drinking. He's like, shut up. I don't bear hunt anymore. If you want someone to kill your bear, I am the man. But I just don't do it anymore. The two guys are like, come on, man. You got to help us out. He goes, with what? I pawned my rifle to buy more liquor. I'm useless to you. Go find somebody else. Two men get up. They start to leave. Yamamoto says, hold on. The bear you're looking for, he's not just awake early from hibernation. You see, I hunted that bear before. Two men look at each other. They're like, what in the world is going on? Is this guy like drunk? It's like Yamamoto stands up unsteadily. The bear's name is Kesagaki. And before he came to your village, he already killed three women. I couldn't catch him then. Can't catch him now. Especially, looks at his little cup of alcohol. Especially now. Look. Good luck. You'll need it. Shows the two men out. Kasagaki, in, in English, means the diagonal slash from the shoulder. Basically, just the way it kills people. The telltale marks of just the hand coming down so rapidly, so strong, just ripping flesh open. It had eaten three... This was a man-eater before this whole event happened. The fact that it woke up early from hibernation is what made these events possible, because if it slept through, it wouldn't have had to do this. But it would eat people at the drop of a hat. It had already tasted human blood. And you have to wonder how many other people, like wanderers or travelers through that neck of the woods, that simply disappeared. That weren't in a hut that a husband came home to. That simply were killed and devoured in the middle of spring by Kasagaki. It's 8 p.m. at the village. It's still December 10th. And while the husbands are having that conversation, hunters are out in the woods looking for the bear. Holding their rifles up. Looking for anything that's moving take a shot at something in the woods a large moving figure rapidly disappearing into the darkness the gunshots continue and the guards surrounding the house hear it they figure the bear is cornered it is time to act the guards leave one man to guard the hut full of women and children and the rest of them run towards the forest It's 8 p.m. We're at the hut containing all the women and children. Yeo is there with her four children. Her youngest one is strapped to her back in a little bambushka thing, a little little baby carrier. And she's preparing some food. There's a big pot of boiling water over a fire. She's slowly stirring it, preparing food for the women and children, a late meal to keep them calm. An oil lamp sits in the corner of the room as well. The only light source is available. So that means there's a glow and a flicker. As everyone sits worried in this hut. They hear the gunshots. They believe the bear is cornered. Yeo's just stirring her pot. And then she hears a rumble. Outside the house.
And as she, right when she turns to look out the window to see what it is, the bear smashes into the house. It jumps through the window and comes inside. Eight feet, eight inches tall. 837 pounds. And a house full of women and children. The bear lifts its arm up and slashes Yeo across the chest. Yeo, in a panic, starts to back up, but one of her children is holding onto her legs. So she begins to trip, and while trying to stop herself from falling, she turns her back to the bear, exposing the baby strapped to her back. The bear bites into the child and begins to pull Yeo back. At this point, the one guard remaining who's in the house goes for the door. And the bear drops its attack against the woman and the child and begins attacking the man. When this is happening, someone panics and their hand hits the oil lamp. Putting out the wick, it could have been worse. The oil could have spread, a fire could have ignited in this room with this bear. It simply put out the light. But at the same time, someone else bumped into the boiling pot of water hanging over the fire. extinguishing the fire and plunging the room into pitch blackness. You can see nothing. You can just hear the screaming, the moans, and the 800-pound bear coming after you. Claws and teeth cut a swath through the women and children of this village. Take, whose husband is off trying to recruit bear hunters, is there with her unborn baby inside of her. Survivors of this event said they heard the bear come closer, and Take begged the bear, Leave my belly alone. Leave my belly alone. Don't hurt my baby. You can take my head, but don't hurt my baby. Don't hurt. And then silence as her body slumped to the ground in the pitch dark room. At some point during this, Yeo does escape the house and begins running towards the gunshots. And around this time, the guardsmen and the hunters realize they had lost track of the bear and that it probably is back in the village. Yeo badly, badly wounded child on her back, barely clinging to life. She tells the guardsmen what happened. It attacked the house. The guardsmen surround the house, and their first idea is to set the house on fire, to burn it to the ground, to make sure that the bear is killed. But Yeo pleads with them, please don't, please. There may be people in there that are still alive. We can't burn them down. So they come up with another plan. Half of us go to the back of the house. Half of us stay at the front of the house. Now, while they're coming up with these plans, by the way, they hear a bear killing people in there. You hear people moaning. You hear people screaming. And just the bear is still going to town on these people. So they got to come up with a plan really, really fast. They know it's still in there, and they know it's killing people right now. Half of you guys go to the back. Half of us stay at the front. 
you bang on the doors in the back. It'll make the bear scared. It'll come out the front door. We shoot it. Game over. So you had half of the guards go to the back. And they start bam, 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 banging on the walls, banging on the back door. The guys in the front get in position, get their rifles ready. But these aren't professional soldiers. They're not even really professional hunters. They bunch up. They get really tight. And the way the formation is, is that some people are directly in front of somebody else's rifle. Plus, they're worried about shooting, missing, and hitting the people in the back of the house. And they're completely terrified because there's an 8-foot-8 bear in there eating people. And they know it's coming outside that door in 3, 2, and at that point, the bear busts down the front door and they open fire. Well, some of them do. Because again, they're worried about hitting the people in front of them. The bear is not hit a single time and runs off into the woods. They go into the house. They start picking up the people that they can, taking the dying to a local school to do a triage, to save who we can. One of the survivors was the seven-year-old son of the mayor who swore in that moment to kill ten bears for every one human that is killed. They find the body of Take. Her head was bitten clean off. Her pregnant belly was untouched. They cut her open and pulled out her child. Alive. Alive. But who died a few hours later. The two husbands come back from town with good news. Snipers and a veritable army of men were going to come the next day to help stop this menace. But as they come back to the village, they see the schoolhouse abuzz with activity. That wasn't part of the plan. Something must have happened. They go in there, and that's when they learn of what happened. The damage to their families was irreparable. Five people were killed in that house over the course of minutes as this beast simply attacked them. The next day, December 11th, everyone's on edge. They have to bury all of these people who have passed, and they know that that bear will come back. At this point, everyone is in one location. Everyone who can is a guard with a rifle. That night, the bear does not return to the village. December 12th, the six-man sniper team shows up, help from nearby towns, 60 men in total. They don't know what to do, though. Do we keep playing a defensive game? Do we go out into the woods? Why didn't the bear show up last night? Is the bear looking for revenge? Is the bear looking for food? Are we making things worse? People are debating how to go about this. Yamamoto walks into the village with his rifle. Says, listen, I know what we need to do to get this bear. It killed these people for food. It will come back for this food. That's what bears do. So we need to take one of these bodies that you recently... And people are freaking out. They're like, dude, we're not pulling up one of these bodies. We're not giving this... Yamamoto goes, listen, I know that this is disgusting. And I know this is against tradition. But we can't just leave out some corn cobs at this point. We need the bear to come back to the village where we can shoot it or track it to its cave. And to do that, it killed people. It wants to eat them. Dig the bodies up. We use them as bait. And the townspeople really debated that, but they don't have a lot of time. And they go, fine. This is super disgusting, but yes, for the sake of the village, 
will use our dead family members as bait. December 12th, they leave the bodies out that night. The bear does not show back up. People are a little upset, obviously. Yamamoto goes, well, I don't know. Should have worked. A little egg on my face, right, guys? Sorry about that. But, you know, it's, it's better than just hanging out here. December 13th. December 13th. That's when you just fade to black, go to commercial, and then we're on December 13th. It's just Yamamoto get, like shrugging his shoulders. Sorry. His bodies, disinterred bodies are all over the place. December 13th. Somebody leaves the protection of the group and goes walking through the village to go check on something. They end up going to the Ota household, which is where the first attack on humans took place. Walks in there and goes, are you kidding me? Walks back to the group of people and says, hey, I know what's been going on. Why we haven't been seeing that bear lately. The bear was coming back to the village, but since everyone was in one location, it was breaking into the houses on the outskirts of the village, eating their food, just like sitting down and making a meal for itself. Mm, more corn just eating their stuff and then going away and then like looking in the woods and when it saw everyone was at this location it would sneak into another house huff and puff until the thatched house blew away and then eat all their food so the bear hadn't left it had gotten smart and was just breaking in and like eating canned goods and stuff like that so now the people are like, damn it, not only did we have to dig up these bodies, but now even after we kill this bear, we don't have any food. So Yamamoto's like, listen, the defensive strategy is not working at all. Like, he's, we're not, we just can't sit here. We have to go out into the woods and find the bear. Which basically, you totally lose home turf advantage. At this point, they had been fighting it in a clearing. Which is pretty easy to see something that that's big on a flat field. You go into the woods, this creature evolved to hunt here. And now you want to go into their woods and hunt them down. We got to. It's a man-eater. It's going to keep coming back. We know that. Even when it's not attacking us, it's still breaking into these houses. It's not leaving this area. We have to go in after it. But here's the problem with going on the offensive. What happened last time they did? So they can't take everyone out to hunt this bear down. But how many people do you peel away knowing this creature has in the past backtracked into the village and eaten people? So they leave a bunch of guards there. And then you have Yamamoto, the six-man sniper team. And about, I think it was about, ended up being about 60 dudes going into the woods as well. A very big force of guys is going into the woods. They get deep into the woods. They're headed towards the mountains where they know these bears normally live. And there's a sniper up in a tree. It's, and everyone's asleep because it's night. The sniper's up in the tree. He's just sitting there. And he sees just behind a tree a massive black shape just standing there. Looking at the people sleeping. Now the sniper has to make sure it's not someone peeing against the tree, right? So he calls out, hoping for a response. <whistles> shape doesn't move. Hey, who are you? Shape doesn't move. The sniper gets his rifle ready. Aims it right at the shape. No reaction. Shape begins running on all fours. Disappears into the darkness. Everyone wakes up, obviously. Sniper's like, dude, you won't believe what just happened. You're lucky I'm up in this tree because that bear was going to eat you. I mean, he was watching you guys and I put a bullet right in him. 
the course, when you're talking about something that's eight foot eight, eight hundred and thirty-seven pounds, the question is, where did the bullet go? Because if you shot me with a sniper round in the arm, I'm down for the count. If you shot me in the chest, I'm dead. You shoot a bear, something that big in the arm, it's like, ah, uh, got a thorn in my arm. So they're like, we got to find this guy. So everyone, wake up, wake up, kick in the sleeping bags, get up, get up. They're like, dude, I was already up when I the gunshot and the guy telling me a bear almost ate me. I was already up. Let's go. So they do wait for the sun to come up. They're not maniacs. This isn't Predator. They're not now going to walk through the woods and get picked off one by one. But the sun comes up and Yamamoto's like, listen, here's the deal. He got shot. That means he's wounded. That means he's not having a good day. However, it wasn't a kill shot. He probably will heal. We can track him, but see that over there? Everyone kind of looks up. That's a snowstorm coming. It's going to be big and hard to walk through, and it's going to cover up all of his tracks. This is our chance right now. we got to get it. But, another but, we can't take 60 people and track this. We're too slow. So tell me, turn to the locals, turn to the villagers, which one of you knows this area the best? And I can imagine nobody wanted to answer that question, honestly. Because you know where this is going. But one of them does. One of them steps forward, a better man than me, and says, I know this area better than anyone. What's your plan? Am I going to lead you and the snipers and maybe a couple of these other guys? into? And Yamamoto's like, no, no, no. It's just me and you. It's the only way we'll catch it in time. Gear up. Damn it. (laughs) You're like, I should have been honest. Throwing on your backpack. This thing has outrun waves of bullets, killed seven people in just two days here, plus three women previously, has a name that goes with how it murders people, and it's just you and a dude who you heard is a recovering alcoholic who just got his gun back from a pawn shop. But that's, that's life, I guess. They begin to follow the trail. Yamato, expert bear hunter, comes with the territory. He needs to know how to track. They're walking through the forest, crossing a river, headed towards the base of a mountain. And then Yamamoto puts his hand up to stop his guide. And there, 65 feet away from him, is the bear, resting against the tree. I must imagine that the bear looked up and saw Yamamoto. And thought, I'm going to eat him. But, if I can't eat him, if anyone's going to kill me, I'm glad it's you. Yamamoto gets his rifle ready. Takes aim. Puts a bullet through the bear's heart. The bear starts to get up. It's not an exact kill shot. Yamamoto gets another round in the chamber. Aims it again. Puts a bullet right through the beast's skull. Killing him instantly. When they did take the bear back to the village, it had undigested body parts in its stomach. They removed the head, kept it as a trophy, but now the skull has gone missing. Shortly after this, obviously, the town became a ghost town and eventually became a distant memory. This all happened in 1915. It was basically a rural story. If you didn't know someone involved in it, it almost seemed like a fairy tale. A dark one, but a fairy tale nonetheless. A myth, something you would tell people to scare them of bears. It's interesting because this is a true story. But so many elements are like movie tropes. 
the hunter who's done hunting, who will never use his rifle again, who has an alcohol problem, who comes back in the third act to save the day. To train the village on how to defend themselves. That type of thing. The And then it has the ruthless creature that some people could sympathize with because maybe his environment was getting encroached on or he woke up early for some reason. Other viewers could just say, no, he was a bloodthirsty beast. The only thing that this story is really missing from like a Jaws or a Sci-Fi Channel movie is the mayor of the village saying, we can't get the authorities. This is Bear Festival week. We're having 10,000 people visit the village this week. We can't pan. That's the only thing this story is missing. It has almost every single trope you would see in a horror movie, including a happy ending. And to really wrap the story up, in the end, that young boy, that seven-year-old boy, his name was Okawa Hariyoshi. And he was seven when that happened, the mayor's son, and he said, I'm going to kill ten bears for every human that's killed. He ended up, when he was sick, by the time he was 62 years old, he killed 102 bears. So he killed ten bears for each person who died in the village, plus another ten bears for the three women who were killed before this all started. And then he ended up building a shrine so you could go and remember the dead victims of this event. Weird story. Powerful story. A story of human survival, a story against nature. And I think it's an interesting story because when we see these movies like Jaws or Bees or Claws or Fleas or whatever, like whether it's a paint-by-numbers sci-fi movie or a movie like Jaws or something like that, whenever you see one of these creature features, this it rings... Yeah, the monsters are made up, but the story beats ring true because that's what happens in real life. We have these... People in real life sometimes can be tropes, too. It's fascinating to me. The whole story's fascinating to me. And what's funny is, you know America seems to have, like, a, a fear of clowns? In Japan, it's a fear of bears. The Japanese people, this might be a stereotype, but according to the research I've done, Japanese people don't like bears. Brown bears, specifically, because that's what type of bear this was. Because this story became so ingrained in the cultural... Just like Americans and John Wayne Gacy and clowns, this story is the John Wayne Gacy of Japan, where you don't like bears. You don't want nothing with bears. Gummy bears, tailspin, and Winnie the Pooh, you just don't want to see it because it reminds you of this. You can go, though, to this area now. They've built a... This seems grim. They've built a, a recreation of the Ota house. So you can see what the house was like. And then next to it, built a two-scale, eight-foot, eight-inch-tall bear monster and it's bigger than the house you can actually see the statue of that like the hand of the statue on the roof of the house that's how big this thing was can you imagine being think about the next time you're with like a giant dog in your living room or your house or someone else's house if you don't own a dog and when it walks by you can like feel the heat from it but you're in a giant house i can't even imagine how terrifying it would have been to be in that shack over the course of what four days a town was plunged into madness and fear because of the ultimate killing machine and to this day it still affects this story still affects an entire culture of people deadrabbitradio.gmail.com is going to be your email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio twitter is at deadrabbitradio Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. 